Coming today on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung. I would define a personal crisis the same way as I would define an operational crisis. When there is an interruption to some type of service, so whether you're a company or you're a person, and it impacts your life so much that it takes time out of your life, it rents space in your head, and you now need to mitigate or handle that crisis as it handles, as it's happening to you. So the big questions are these. How can we navigate and negotiate every situation in our lives, in our career, in our businesses, in our relationships, and even with ourselves for our own self-worth? In other words, what if you could win every time and have no losers? Let's face it, we're not negotiating just to buy a car or for a pay raise. We are negotiating for living in every aspect of our lives. How can we do that powerfully, successfully, and victoriously? Those are the questions, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Rebecca Song, and welcome to the time where you negotiate your best life. Welcome to another episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I'm Rebecca Zung, and I'm super excited to welcome Molly McPherson. She is a nationally recognized expert on crisis public relations, and she's the author of a book called Indestructible, Reclaim Control and Respond with Confidence in a Media Crisis. And she's going to be talking about all about how to respond with confidence in a crisis today. I'm I'm so excited about this. Uh, And she is the host of a podcast called Confidence, uh, Confident Communications. And she frequently speaks about communication trends, crisis communications, public relations, and social media crisis responses to executives and organizations. And I am so, so excited to welcome you, Molly, to this show. Thanks for being here. Rebecca, it's nice to speak with you because for as much as I've listened to you, it's nice to have this one-on-one interaction. I've looked forward to it. Thank you. Thank you. So tell us about you. How did you come to writing this book and being an expert on crisis communications? Well, my background is in media, journalism, communication, and I have experience working in crisis communication. I think I had two positions that really kind of locked me into the field. The first was when I worked for the cruise line industry out of Washington, D.C., and at that time, I dealt with 9-11 in Washington, D.C., working right next to the Pentagon, Mm. and in the maritime industry, we had to respond to it, and then also was the first time a virus really attacked a large amount of cruise ships um, all at once, so I had to write a crisis plan about what happens when a virus uh, attacks your industry. I also worked for for FEMA. And that was a lot of uh, crisis work. And what I learned at FEMA was critical and shaped the work that I do today is understanding more of the psychology of crisis communication and understanding how people act and how they react 
and and learning how you can predict how to respond. And FEMA at the time of Hurricane Katrina um, was blasted in the press, blasted for their response. They lost their reputation. Yet here we are now years later and a hurricane just hit New Orleans, the same place. Yeah. But now a lot of these agencies understand in the social media environment, they have to be more authentic and real, more transparent. And that's the work that I do. It's about being transparent. And that's really what this book is about, is how to create an indestructible brand. Yes. Okay. So, but what really resonated with me is dealing and feeling indestructible and responding with, you know, control and confidence when you're dealing with a personal crisis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how would you, first of all, how would you define a personal crisis? I would define a personal crisis the same way as I would define an operational crisis. When there is an interruption to some type of service, so whether you're a company or you're a person, and it impacts your life so much that it takes time out of your life, it rents space in your head, and you now need to mitigate or handle that crisis as it handles, as it's happening to you. And for many people, many you know women who embody this, of course, divorce is the definition of a personal crisis. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, here's the thing. You know, a lot of people in who listen to me, they're not even necessarily going through a divorce. It could be a business partner. It could be, you know, it, it, it could even be somebody that they're working with. It could be uh, clients or whatever, but they're dealing with toxic people in their lives. And a lot of times you don't even necessarily see it happening right away. It's like this smoldering or these like death by a thousand cuts. And all of a sudden, like you kind of start to realize, you know, I think I'm in a crisis, (laughs) but you don't necessarily notice that it's coming on, right? But Rebecca, like you, I mean, you are an attorney. You specialized in divorce. And something mm-hmm. happened to you personally in your life where you dealt with with um, narcissists, mm-hmm. you know, in, in two different areas, you know, of your life. You yeah, Not as a husband, though. Yeah, I, but as, wasn't it a worker, like a coworker? And I had a, I had a business, uh, it was in a business situation and also in um, an extended family member. My husband and I had to deal with one. Yeah. So like you, you experienced something so profound, a personality characteristic that you saw that repeated itself in your work. And the same thing happened to me is when I was going through a divorce, it is the most raw, emotional, gut-wrenching evisceration that anyone could go through, as you know. But what I oh, needed to- I love the word that you use, the word evisceration. <clears throat> Excuse me, because that, uh, I've never used that word before. I've never heard anyone use that word before, but that is a really good word. Because it's I true. I just want to like pause on that word for a minute. It's true. Like, you are like, cut open. It you was. You are exposed. Oh my God. And you yes. are injured. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's, yes. it's a word that you feel, right? It's, it's oh, yeah, so much feel so. that word. Yeah. But evisceration, it's almost like the opposite of it for me is indestructible because that's another word that, that brings a feeling to you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what you had, you know, what you 
talk about is using these types of skills to help you, whether it's a divorce or a negotiation. You know, you are so niche, right? Like you are niche about, you know, being a divorce attorney and helping a lot of people navigate it. But you found that it appears in so many other areas, um, you know, whether it's business negotiation, whatever it is. The same with me. I was noticing on one hand, I had to follow a playbook um, in, you know, going through divorce, but then I would watch press conferences and I would work with clients and we would work through a crisis and I would notice these patterns and they were so similar. And I was using the same playbook. So Mm -hmm. the indestructible playbook that I write for my clients that came out in my book is really an indestructible playbook for life. It's how to prevent people from bringing you down. So whether it's the cancel culture that you always hear about in the press or whether someone's trying to cancel you personally, how do you remain indestructible? Mm. Oh, yeah. So good. So good. When somebody's trying to cancel you personally, isn't that good? And, And when they're trying to do that, it's not like all the time. It's like in that moment, right? And, and I, I mean, I would say like during that personal crisis, you just, it's that feeling of being out of control. Like you don't have control of your life in that moment, right? There's two words that I always default to in my work and in my life, control and chaos. Without control, you have chaos. As soon as you have confined any device or any tactic or strategy that brings control back to you, whether you're standing in front of a podium at a press conference or when you are sitting at a mediation session or trying to buy a car, the control needs to stay with you. And the key to it I have found is when you can recognize that someone is trying to create chaos, you can mitigate that and remain in control. So that's a key word for me is how do you remain in control? Mm, and so you're like vacillating between the two. Also. Yeah, well, we give in, right? So there's these devices that you might find with, with narcissism. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a therapist. I never will diagnose someone as having, uh, being, uh, having a narcissistic personality disorder. However, there are characteristics that are seen in the same type of people that you truly can follow a playbook. You don't even know the person and you know precisely what they're going to do. And I found in my work, working, as I said, you know, directly with clients or giving a talk or a workshop or watching a press conference or watching candidates, presidential candidates, presidents, you see these behaviors come to light and you can start to predict what's going to happen because you know psychologically what they're going to do next. No, yeah, 100%. And so- There are things that you can do, I think, mentally to prepare. So, you know, I I look at preparing for a negotiation as an inside-out process, you know, because you have to start mentally. Mm -hmm. Um, And would you say the same thing is, you know, in preparing for a crisis, it's an inside-out process? Oh, I mean, without a doubt. It goes without saying you have to research everything, but you have to be steely as soon as you're ready to handle a crisis or get in front of a camera or do an interview. Nerves of steel and you have to be prepared and you have to negotiate it. You have to know how to negotiate that interview. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, when I talk about negotiating your best life, you know, sometimes 
the first negotiation you have to do is like negotiating with your own head for your own self-worth sometimes, right? Oh, I without mean, a doubt. Like that's the first negotiation of the day sometimes. Um, so how, what are some things that you can do on a personal level to prepare to be indestructible? Well, some of the ways that I, you know, that where I think this resonates and where it helps people is because I'm in the work of crisis prevention, crisis mitigation. I work with a lot of communicators. I work with a lot of people who have to deal with a crisis. And I, I there's two things. There's people who will walk into the mud and create a bigger crisis just based on their personality and their response alone. And then there are people who can understand how to navigate those personalities and, and how and what society, you know, what, what the world and social media, your audience, your stakeholders, you know, what they need and what we're craving. We're really in a society now where cre- people are craving compassion. They're brave, craving kindness. They don't want to marginalize people anymore. I mean, that's where we're headed, to, we're headed towards. Yet we have leaders there who still lead by ego. And they still lead with these characteristics and traits of narcissists. And a great example, uh, it was watching like former Governor Cuomo of New York, who fought and put his heels in so deep and would not let go of his position because he felt he was right. No one was going to convince him that he was wrong, even though he was accused of sexually harassing women. But if you watch his press conferences, if you read the transcripts, it is filled with gaslighting. It is filled with splitting. It is it is filled with hoovering. I mean, like all of the trademarks that you would find in narcissism, you could you can see it there. So where it can help you is if you recognize what doesn't work in our society, how people get canceled. That's how you prevent it. Mm, that is so good. That is so good. I mean, I mean, I think you see it all the time in our culture, though. You know, I mean, I was just talking about that in um, a video I actually just recorded this morning. I was talking about how I think our society continues to promote it by allowing certain things like, you know, um, Evan Rachel Wood, for example, was talking this morning. I mean, you know, she I mean, um, I, I was talking about this morning how she, you know, flipped off. Uh, Marilyn Manson, because she, she, you know, she was, she did a song where um, she sang, um, um, you get what you give. And there's, there's a part of the song where it says Marilyn Manson. And when she sang that part of the song, she flipped him off. And it was in response to the fact that Kanye West had him appear on his new album. Yes. And it's like, you know, what is wrong with our society that here's this guy who's been accused by multiple, multiple women that he is a rapist, that he is, you know, has seriously been abusive to lots and lots of women, but yet it, it, apparently it's, it's, it's not a problem enough that Kanye West is like fine with having him on on the album. And what my, my what my, what I was saying is is that, you know, 
it's good for her that she stood up to him and, 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 you know, Hey, we can stand up to the flying monkeys and we can stand up to the narcissist and, and you're going to have that in negotiations. And that's, you know, that's, what's going to happen. Um, and, and so, you know, you, you got to keep standing firm and remain indestructible when you're going to see those responses. And that's what I was saying in my video, but on a larger problem within society, you know, Kanye didn't, Real, you know, he didn't think, hey, there's going to be backlash if I have this guy on my album. You know, like if he had been accused of something really horrible that he thought that there was going to be backlash, like, oh, he's a child molester or something like that. He wouldn't have had him on his album. But because, oh, it's just that he abused women, nobody's going to care. You, you see what I'm saying? Coming up, more on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung. The pushback and the blowback um, is to head into any crisis with strength. And that is having the confidence to show some of your vulnerabilities as well. Because if you don't show them, someone will show them and expose them for you. When it comes to the safety of a child in a divorce case involving alcohol abuse, there is no compromise. Take back power, strength, and truth from the narcissist in your life with documented proof of sobriety. Soberlink's alcohol monitoring system is the most convenient, reliable, and reasonable way for a parent to provide evidence that they're not drinking when a child's safety is at risk. Soberlink's real-time alerts make it easy to negotiate with any party. Judges rest assured that the child is safe. Attorneys get court admissible evidence of sobriety and both parents have empowerment and peace of mind. I created this community to provide support for divorced moms like me, which is why I partnered with Soberlink to create the resource tips for negotiating with a narcissist. To download the guide and get $50 off your Soberlink device, visit www.soberlink.com forward slash negotiate. Are you struggling with how to negotiate and win? Maybe you're dealing with a personality that's particularly challenging like a narcissist or other high conflict personality and you're feeling powerless, make sure to download my free Win My Negotiation cheat sheet at www.winmynegotiation.com. Take a listen to our archive where you can listen to more episodes that show you the path to how to negotiate your best life. A lot of the mind games that take place around money are also ones that you'll see take place around other aspects. So it's still, it's still all part of kind of that same playbook. Money tends to be one way that a narcissist can use to try and maintain that sense of control. And now we return to today's show. Well, I have a thought on it because it was part of a conversation. I was in Chicago this weekend and when Kanye was there. And when I learned that Marilyn Manson was there, I was having this conversation with someone like, why would Kanye do that? And what's interesting here 
it's come up a few times. There's been a lot of uh, divorces that were in the news. And I've gone back and forth with men who are in my profession. And we talk about these public responses and, and why someone might defend someone else. So the reason why Kanye, in my opinion, is doing that, I think he's fully aware of the accusations against Marilyn Manson. But I think he is standing in solidarity. And saying, as a guy who's always, you know, people are always saying, you know, Kanye's this, Kanye's that. I mean, talk about a guy married to a family that's in a spotlight. I think he intentionally had them there. Not to say that he approves of of singing a song with someone who's been accused of molesting children or young women, but that he's standing in solidarity because perhaps he doesn't believe the accusations. Well... I don't think it's necessarily that he's standing in solidarity because it isn't. I, I mean, I, I I honestly think it's just that he just whatever. It, it's it's more a whatever of the accusation. Yeah, more about the music, like he's saying. <clears throat> I think my it's album. just a whatever. I don't really care. Uh, you know, this guy mm-hmm. he gets attention. I want attention for my album, so therefore I'm putting him on the album. I honestly think that that's what it's about. Uh, you know, I want attention for my album, so therefore I'm putting him on. And 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 I don't really care about the accusations. And 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 if I really thought there was going to be backlash and people wouldn't buy my album because of it, you know, uh, people would actually scorn me because of it, then I wouldn't put him on the album. You know, and and that's the problem. The problem is a societal problem, I think, more so than anything else. You know what I'm saying? So that's, you know, um, you know, and, 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 and so what I was actually saying, you know, is like stand firm and go ahead and continue to, you know, uh, look your your um, narcissist in the eye and keep moving forward because they're going to do whatever they're going to do. You know, it doesn't really matter what they're going to do. You have to remain strong and good for her for remaining strong and good for her for flipping him off and standing in her power. Yes. Oh, standing in her power, too, is another way of saying, and I agree with you on this. These are the qualities and traits of indestructibility. That's what I call it. And especially when people can show vulnerability, it makes them powerful. She comes, she exposed herself in such a raw way, but it made her stronger and it made her brand stronger, right? Because she's standing up to what had happened to her. Yeah, and you're only as sick as your secrets and all of those things. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the fact that, that you know, she's going to see backlash and she's going to see the, you know, people line up with their flying monkeys and, and and, and call her a liar and all those sorts of things. And that's what happens when you come out and, and, you know, so that's what the point was that I was trying to make, but good for her for standing in her power. And, Mm -hmm. and the, and the other point that I was making honestly is that there's even one more step beyond where she's at now, by the way, which, which is that she doesn't even flip him off because she just completely doesn't even like erases him. She doesn't care at all. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like there, 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 like she doesn't like she erases him from the CPU of her life completely. Yes. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yes. she like doesn't care whatsoever. So how do you go about preparing for a crisis? 
you should never go into a crisis unprepared. And that speaks to a professional one or a personal one. So every client, I mean, really the, the nut of my work is I help people create crisis communication plans and communication plans. So it's that preparation. But you also have to go in with a mindset. And the mindset that you need for the culture that we're in nowadays, um, especially with, with social media and with people speaking their own mind and speaking their own truth, and they have their own Twitter pages and Facebook pages, like everyone has to navigate the pushback and the blowback, um, is to head into any crisis with strength. And that is having the confidence to show some of your vulnerabilities as well. Because if you don't show them, someone will show them and expose them for you. So you go into any crisis knowing that at any time, someone could try to blow up your reputation, whether it's from a digital footprint that you left someplace else or something that you said um, somewhere else. But I, I... I help people by sharing this idea of indestructibility. And what that means is I I wrote my book around these pillars, these seven pillars. And these indestructible pillars are the qualities that help anyone get through any crisis or become someone that can't be canceled. You know, like a Chrissy Teigen, for instance, she just woke up one day, she had all these followers on Instagram, you know, married married to John Legend. And then all of a sudden in a day, she's canceled. And what she did is she lacked... You know, people found out that she was an online bully, you know, like she lacked humility. She lacked honesty, transparency. Those are the types of qualities that if you have those going into any crisis, um, you should be able to withstand it because people can't bring you down when you've already exposed your weaknesses. Yeah. And so talk more about how that, like showing your vulnerability, because, you know, like the the thing that people don't realize about narcissists is that they're actually more afraid of you than you are of them. Um, And so talk more about that and like how that actually plays out in in a crisis and, and being prepared. Here's one place where it plays out all the time. In all of my work, I use a framework, a response framework. I call it the indestructible PR response framework. And it's how you should respond in any type of crisis, accusation, anything that you're going through. So whenever I watch someone do it, whether it's happening online or in the press, I'm always looking for this response framework. But it also happens to be a framework that you can use at home, with a spouse, with kids, no matter what you're negotiating, you can do that. If there has been some type of claim or accusation against you and you now have to answer to it, it's three steps. The first step is you have to own it. Whatever you're being accused of, you have to own that piece. So that's apologizing, accepting, acknowledging, you know, owning up to whatever that accusation is. The next step is explaining it. It's the context of why something happened. And then the third step are the plans and the promises that you'll make moving forward. Why this response um, response framework works is because people who have these narcissistic qualities to them always overlook step one. And that's where they own it. 
Because narcissists never own anything. They Mm. put all of their energy into avoiding it and they're going to do whatever they can. And they usually start with step two, which is the explain it. So they'll explain why something happened. They'll blame someone. They might gaslight someone. They'll say it's your fault. Uh, In politics, you could hear Governor Cuomo blame politics for his resignation. You could hear in, um, in conservative Republican will say, oh, the woke media is bringing us down. Everybody has these excuses. But when people just have excuses, that's usually the mark that they're not going to pass through this crisis because they haven't owned up to anything. That vulnerability comes in that first step. Because once you own once you own up to it and you admit it, they can't bring you down anymore. There's nothing. All the ammunition is gone because you've already released it. Oh, that's so true. But how are you going to use that, though, in negotiations? That's a, okay. That's a really good question. So if you're negotiating, what you're going to find is you want to know what the weaknesses that they're going to come and accuse you of. So what they're, whatever they're going to say about you. So whatever you're negotiating, you're ready for it because most people by a default never admit they're wrong. They don't want to admit they're wrong. They don't want to admit that they've, that they faulted in some way. They made a mistake. So no one is prepared for it. It is one of the most flex moves that you can make because it's unexpected. So when you say, yes, it's true, I did A, B, C, that person negotiating is left flat footed, like they don't even know how to respond to that. And you've already moved on to explain why it happened. And then you're going to move on to step three and say, and this is what I'm going to do about it. It eliminates any of that back and forth. The person who wants to bring you down, they're left without anything. Yeah. So, but, and I think that there's even another way of doing it though, too, because I think that um, you, you can also kind of use it against them by kind of like, okay, how would you do it? Or letting them think that they're winning in certain ways. Right. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, you're actually using their weaknesses against them and and shifting it around where you end up getting what you want and they don't even realize that that is what has happened. Oh, you're absolutely right, Rebecca. And that's why when you, in that first step, when you kind of own it, so it's either accountability, you're acknowledging, you're telling them, yes, you're correct. This is what happened. You're letting them win. And when they, when they sense that they've won something, they're kind of thrown by that because people think they have to fight for everything all the time. But all of a sudden, when you give someone something on a platter, like, oh, okay, I guess I've won. I guess it's over. But you're, out, you're already out strategizing them because you just know what their weakness is. And that's the other piece. Find the true Achilles heel of that other person. What is going to make them move off of something? And what you want to do with it is not deliver it to them. You want them to back themselves into that corner. So I, I, so I don't, without being, you know, too specific, I think anyone who's gone through a brutal divorce knows what that is. Like there's one thing someone's never going to give up, or there's one thing that someone will never have happen. You figure out what that is and you out negotiate them. Yeah. And then you act like, but you have to act like you was your idea. What? And you didn't want to give up something because they want to feel like they got you in some way, because if they, if, if you give in too easily, then, then, because they have to have like that sense that you were, 
that, that there was that that control that they that you, that you were intimidated in some way they they want that piece of it too absolutely and this is straight out of your youtube channel like an example might be if um if let's say you're in a let's say you're negotiating a divorce and the spouse decides to cut off the person financially they want to squeeze them so they drop the divorce and they're there, but they just persevere. They're not going to give in. But then the strategy could be, well, now I have to sell the house. Now the kids don't have a place to live because we have no money. And you don't say you cut us off financially. You say there's no money left. And so they think that they won, but now they're stuck with their decision that they've made. Like, oh no, by my selfishness, now they don't have a home. Now I'm in a jam. Now what do I do? That's how you move the that's how you move the pieces around the table to strat, you know, to be very strategic to try and get your way and negotiate it. Exactly, 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 exactly. It's so good, so good, so good. And and the I I love the fact that, you know, you're kind of removing the fear piece from this as you're, as you're, um, coming along. So you, when you're responding with confidence, what you're also doing is you're removing fear. Oh, without a doubt, because the other side, as you know, they react by fear. They make mistakes because of fear. But if you swallow your fear and persevere and just turn it around into power and just, or recognize that it's there, but don't behave from the fear that gives you strength. You're carrying that. It's almost like a quiver. The fear is in your quiver. You know it's there, but you're going to use different arrows that you need to fight this. You're absolutely right because your opponent, they're going to be felled by fear. You just have to know that that's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. So good. So what would be some parting words, some parting advice that you would want to give? Oh my gosh. I feel in my work, even though day to day I help clients and people manage, uh, you know, either plan for a crisis, mitigate a crisis, or when they're deep in it, help them get out of it. I always live by the same credo, which just speaks to just how the expectations that people have in life nowadays is if you live by a golden rule, if you live with compassion and kindness where you're helping someone else, you will be able to persevere and get through any crisis. And usually, typically, you'll come out even stronger. And that's this idea of indestructibility. But if you use any type of manipulation or you're marginalizing someone, you're cutting someone down, you're acting from fear, you're acting from anxiety, you'll never win because it's almost as if the public smells fear and they'll bury you with it. They know when you're scared, they know when you're guilty and they know when you're weak and you will be buried. It's that vulnerability that gives you true indestructibility. Mm. Oh, I love that. Okay. Oh my goodness. So good. Where can people learn more about you? Well, my go-to social place is Twitter. I love it. That's where I find all the crises out there. And that's where I get a lot of my examples. Um, I'm at Molly McPherson. I, I'm also on Instagram as well. And I'm just in the process now of doing the audiobook of my book, Indestructible. Um, and we'll be updating some of the chapters because Rebecca, you know, a crisis that's always happening, it's always changing. So there's always a lot of good case studies out there to learn from. 
Yes, absolutely. Go follow her, go check her out, go buy her book. She is amazing. And her book is Indestructible, Reclaim Control and Respond with Confidence in a Media Crisis. Thank you so much, Molly McPherson. This has been incredible. Rebecca, it's my pleasure. Thanks for stopping by and listening to this episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I'm Rebecca Zung. Check back next Monday for more inspirational pearls of wisdom. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, I'd love if you would give it a five-star rating and tell me what you liked in a review on iTunes. Also, be sure to grab your winning negotiation cheat sheet at winmynegotiation.com. And remember, today is a perfect day to start negotiating your best life.